Yep, welcome, it's indisputable. I'm your host Rashad Richard, good to be with you. We got a lot on the agenda today. In the bullpen, this is gonna be interesting. Tara Perry, Black Pack lead organizer. Now when you go to their website, they seem to be very down with the cause, very pro-black, pro-movement. Um, however, uh, there are some nuances in their, let's say, ideology that we will expose today. We're gonna break down the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act and perhaps reparations. Also, I'm so excited, we got my dear sister, Anna Kasparian on the program today. Young Turks uh, executive producer and host, good to have you, Anna. Thank you, Dr. Ritchie, good to be right. here. Glad to have you on the show again. Top story of the day. Remember when we reported on the state trooper who decided to tell the governor to kiss his ass because he's not going to take a COVID-19 vaccination? Well, he's dead from COVID-19. Here's a reminder of that video. This is my final sign off um, after 22 years of serving the citizens of the state of Washington, um, being asked to leave because I am dirty. Um, Numerous fatalities, um, injuries, I've worked sick, I've played sick. Um, we've buried lots of friends over these years. I'd like to thank you guys. I'd like to thank the um, citizens of Yakima County, as well as my fellow officers within the Valley. Without you guys, I wouldn't have been very successful and you've kept me safe and got me home to my family every night. Um, thank you for that. Um, Wish I could say more, but um, this is it. So state 1034, this is the last time you'll hear me in a state patrol car. And Jay Ansley can kiss my ass. It brings me no joy to report this story because human life is precious, okay? Let's be very clear. This man could be alive right now, his family could be happy. I'm not concerned about his political ideology as it relates to him being a family provider. I disagree with what he said, I disagree with his premise. I disagree with his political philosophy, his social understanding, his conclusion. But I agree that he should be living today. But instead, he decided to not take the shot, the jab as he calls it. And he's dead because of COVID-19. This was in Washington State. The trooper, his name was Robert LeMay. Let me give you some background. Uh, the state trooper who left his job over a vaccine mandate that could have saved his life, telling Washington State Governor Jay Inslee to, and I quote, kiss my ass, has died of COVID-19. Robert LeMay, 51 years of age, was fired on October over his refusal to get the jab and filmed a video of himself hitting out at Mr. Inslee. In the video, he says, and I quote, this is my final sign off. After 22 years of serving the citizens and the state of Washington, I'm being asked to leave because I am dirty. This is the last time you'll hear me in a state patrol car and Jay Inslee can kiss my ass. On Friday, Washington State Patrol Chief John R. Batiste released a statement saying the former trooper had died. He said, and I quote in this statement, I am deeply saddened over the news that our former friend and colleague, Trooper Robert LeMay has passed away. This agency's prayers and remembrances are with his family and loved ones. Rob served honorably for over two decades. We were disappointed to see him leave the agency this past October. His service to this state and agency will be long remembered and appreciated. 
You know, that great words, uh, Chief. But you know what really will be his legacy? I mean, just keep it all the way 100, Chief. His legacy will be that he told the governor to kiss his ass because he refused to take a vaccination that was mandated by policy. And he died from the thing that the vaccine would have protected him from. That is going to be his legacy, okay? A big part of it. It's very sad because it didn't have to happen. Last year, it was reported that COVID had become the single biggest cause of death for police and law enforcement officers across the US. Even as associations representing them fought against vaccine mandates. Now there are people who will say, you know, doc, you're anti-police. No, I'm pro-police, I'm pro-good police, I'm anti-bad police. It's very simple. In this case, I'm pro-police officers literally getting a vaccination. You know why? Because this is their number one killer. Contrary to what they believe is their number one killer, unarmed black people. Unarmed black people are not their number one enemy. Actually, it's COVID. They're dying because they are catching COVID. No vaccination, you have a higher chance of death. CBS News reported that nearly two dozen police professionals died from COVID in just one month, October 2021, while a total of 301 of the 458 officers who died in the line of duty were lost to COVID. That's according to an article in New York in the New York Times. That number has actually increased since that article. This made last year the deadliest for police officers in the US, in the US history, more than 90 years, and represented a 55% increase in the previous year, the paper said. It is thought that at least 460 law enforcement officers in the US have died of COVID since the pandemic began. Tragic, unnecessary, unfortunate, but real. Anna, what are your thoughts? You know, you make a really great point in juxtaposing the number of police deaths as a result of COVID versus, you know, some of the preconceived threats that yeah. they have, these preconceived notions. You know, the thing that really strikes me about this pandemic, and it's a theme that we see playing out over and over again, is how quickly something like a pandemic was immediately turned into a culture war rather than a public health concern that really requires all hands on deck to ensure that as few people die as humanly possible. I think that that's partly to blame the media for, but mostly to blame our politicians for. Many of whom are obviously completely taken over by corporate interests. And so their political identity devolves to nothing more than taking a culture war side on any given issue or turning something as serious as a pandemic into a culture war. It gives the public this illusion of governing when in reality, they're not governing at all. They're just turning something that is tragic, yes, but could be combated efficiently and effectively into a culture war issue that they can pretend like you know they're warriors on. And people are dying as a result. We see that people in the media are able to make a significant amount of money. They increase their earnings through monetization if they spread coronavirus lies or conspiracy theories. And so it's just the incentives continue to be in the wrong place. And the individuals who end up suffering the most are those who are impressionable, those who fall for the culture war lies that yep. have been attached to this public health concern. Very well said, and I make the point often, and I, I, I echo what you said. There's a difference between a private health issue and a public health crisis. And we have 
devolved into this arena where we blur the lines. Now, everything is really a personal health issue when in fact, it's a public health crisis. The rules are different, the rules of engagement are different, the rules of policy are different, and the rules of law are actually different when you're in the middle of a public health crisis. All right, so we're gonna continue to follow these stories because hey, you know, I wanna see good cops survive, I actually do. I wanna see them on the job. We've reported on something like this, but now it's a new situation. An eight year old shoots a nine year old in the parking lot of Chipotle. Why? Because once again, a parent leaves a gun unsecured inside of the vehicle. Goes inside of Chipotle and orders. And all of a sudden a murder could have taken place or a killing, a shooting did, tragic, right? Well, check this out, the Georgia law prohibits local jurisdictions from actually changing the law so that they can hold parents accountable for these types of actions. Literally, it is illegal for the state, well, with the state, it is illegal for a county to pass a law saying, hey, that's a crime. Let me give you some background. The gun was left unsecured, let's put up a picture of the Chipotle. The gun was left unsecured inside of a car where children were. It was parked outside of a Chipotle in a place called Snellville, Georgia. The child's mother was inside ordering food at the time of the shooting. It's not clear exactly where the gun was located inside of the car, but employees of Chipotle called police for help and tended to the child. One of the witnesses, let's put up a picture of the witness. She spoke to WSB TV, one of the witnesses said, and I quote, some kids came in and they were screaming that someone shot him. You could see the visible gunshot wound coming out of his ear. We just stayed here applying pressure to the wound until the paramedics came. The mom was right there. She was the one putting a towel on his wound. There have been prior incidents in the area similar to this over the past several months. Several children have either been seriously injured or killed in Georgia. After being around an unsecured gun with another child, we reported on two of them right here on Indisputable. This is the fifth child injured in a shooting this year in Metro Atlanta. Three children have been killed by guns this year already. Let's go national. According to the Giffords Law Center to prevent gun violence, 4.6 million minors in the United States live in homes with at least one loaded and unsecured firearm. 70% of parents reported that their children could not access the firearms in their households on their own. But over one third of the children belonging to those households reported being able to access the firearm in less than five minutes. So let me just bring the humanity back into this conversation, okay? There's a reason why a kid can't drive an automobile. It's dangerous, it's simple. There's a reason why a child is restricted from doing things that could cause injury to themselves or to those around them. But all of a sudden, when it comes to guns, conservatives in particular and some Democrats lose all common sense. No, let's pass laws to stop local jurisdictions from passing laws that will protect children. Once again, a child could be dead. But still, the family, their lives have been turned upside, upside down.
in a significant way. But we come back to this one element in our societal construct, fascination with guns. That somehow, if it's guns, it's good. That's how some people think, some people believe this. Anna, you see this for what it is and you've covered stories like this. But once again, the policy says that the local jurisdictions are unable to pass criminal laws for guns and against gun negligence like this. Yeah, you know, oftentimes when we talk about gun laws and how it's it's left up to the states or it's left up to various counties, it doesn't really make much sense. And I, I find that to be an incredibly ineffective system because people don't live on islands. We're one right. country, we don't have borders between counties and states where people can't enter. And But this is one of the rare instances where it could actually be effective and it could have a domino effect in regard to prosecuting parents who are not responsible with their guns. You know, there was the case recently in Michigan, the one of the more, I mean, there's school shootings on a regular basis, but this was one of the more high profile school shootings in Michigan recently where the parents for the first time were facing prosecution as a result of not securing their firearm. In fact, they purchased a firearm for the, the school shooter during the Thanksgiving break. Yep. And and I what I really appreciated about this unprecedented prosecution is that Honestly, I felt that everyone could really put their support behind that. It's not about banning guns. It's not even about restricting access to adults who want guns. It's just about ensuring that if you have a gun, please be responsible with it. Please keep it in a safe place so your children don't have access to it. To think that we now have lawmakers who genuinely will fight against those kinds of common sense regulations really blows my mind. And it does go to the point that you made that whenever we're talking about gun violence in this country, the conversation is completely dominated by two extremes. Yeah. One extreme, ban guns, the other extreme, no regulations whatsoever. In fact, no personal responsibility, even when it comes to a context involving children. I think it's pretty sick, I'm not in favor of banning guns. I think common sense gun legislation is sorely needed in this country. And I really do think that criminal charges for parents who are irresponsible with their firearms makes all the sense in the world. And I think that's what we should be fighting for, absolutely. You know, it's constitutional to bear arms. Constitutional rights, however, come with common sense responsibility. That's how rights work so that you don't deprive people of life and liberty. But when you have this happening, on a semi-regular basis, and some jurisdictions it happens more than others. It creates a public health crisis once again. There's a commissioner named Ted Terry. Ted Terry represents DeKalb County, which is located next to Atlanta. Ted Terry has been on the show before. He's in Georgia, he knows about the law. So what he did is he presented a civil law that would create a penalty, a fine, a monetary fine for parents who did things like this. That was his way of usurping the state law, which prohibits a criminal law to be passed. He did this because he simply wanted Anna, he wanted a real educational campaign to be connected with the new civil law. Because states that have done this, they have seen accidental shootings decrease significantly because of the, not just the civil penalty, but because of the education that surrounds it. And guess what, the conservatives, they said no, fascinating. All right, 
Uh, Donald Trump is threatening to run for president, I told you that. And he's also saying, you know, if you elect me again, I'm going to pardon the terrorist that tried to overthrow the US government. Of course he will. Let me give you some background. Uh, Donald J. Trump said this at a Texas rally. Here's the clip. We are going to start by ending Nancy Pelosi's political career once and for all. And then we're going to kick the Biden crime family out of the White House in 2024. And another thing we'll do, and so many people have been asking me about it, if I run and if I win, we will treat those people from January 6th fairly. We will treat them fairly. And if it requires pardons, we will give them pardons because they are being treated so unfairly. You know, I've been criticized when I say Donald Trump radicalizes terrorists. That's what he does. He is the terrorist radicalizing terrorist. Now he's not gonna go out and overthrow the government personally, right? But you do know that if he could have gotten away with it, he would have. He would have destroyed democracy, ripped up the constitution. And that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to create an undefined space to where the constitution was silent so they can make up the rules. That was the idea, that was the design. And they had multiple avenues working on that one goal. So Trump's comments came during a campaign style rally in Conroe, Texas, in which he complained about the criminal prosecutions that Capitol rioters have faced as a result of their attempt to interrupt the counting of the electoral college votes after he lost the 2020 election. His comments reflect the growing sentiment among Republicans that the Capitol rioters should be forgiven and the events of that day forgotten. As the House Select Committee investigating January 6th has issued scores of subpoenas to individuals and organizations as part of its probe and is expected to release an interim report on its findings this summer. What will the report mean? Um, not a damn thing, <laughs> nothing. Okay, we'll read it because it's newsworthy, but it, it moves nothing. Uh, some of Trump's allies in Congress have pleaded for pardons for these terrorists. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, a potential 2024 Republican presidential contender, recently called one year commemorations of the Capitol riot an effort to smear Trump supporters, okay? The DOJ has charged more than 700 people in connection with the Capitol attack. Some of them have been charged with what's called a seditious conspiracy, which is your attempt to overthrow the state, all right? Um, Trump raised the prospect of pardons after a speech, repeating his lies about widespread voter fraud, causing his loss to President Joe Biden in 2020. Republicans and state houses across the country have seized on Trump's lies to enact new laws that will make voting more difficult for some and to pursue ongoing reviews of the 2020 election. So let me make this very clear and very plain. They have a strategy. The strategy is they want to pick the voters because they are afraid of the voters picking them. Strategy one. Strategy two, it's not just about who cast the ballot, it's also about who counts them. So they are strategically placing vote counters, directors of elections in places throughout the country so that they can control and manipulate the outcome of elections. And then strategy three, they want you to question any result 
that does not favor them. Those are your three strategies. They're implementing them now in real time. Anna, what are your thoughts on this story? You know, it's pretty terrifying how, I mean, openly, brazenly, Donald Trump is willing to push for a complete deterioration of our democratic process, or at least what's left of it. And he uses intimidation, coercion, whatever he has in his toolbox to get what he wants. And so we used to have a terrible political climate where you have two political parties that are captured by the same corporate interests and essentially substantively they're very similar policy wise. But Trump has decided to take it up a notch. Whereas you know, the Republican Party used to be pretty pro corporate and all of that. Now there's the added terrible nature of wanting to do away with our democratic process entirely. And what's even more terrifying about it for me, Dr. Ritchie, is the fact that you have Republican lawmakers who know that what he's doing is wrong, but they're such cowards and they're yep. so afraid of him that they enable him. And then on the other side with the Democratic Party, I mean, how could you not be furious with the lack of fight coming from the Biden administration to ensure the passage of a voting right? Bill to mitigate the damage that's being done by Trump and his enablers on the right. I mean, you know, of course, the heart of the problem is Donald Trump, but we need to have a robust system in place to mitigate not just Trump, but any future figures who might come up and just completely flat out refuse to accept the outcome of an election. Yeah. And we don't have a proper opposition party to Trump right now. I agree 100%. Uh, it's it's like Democrats are playing baseball without a baseball bat. I don't exactly. understand it. Uh, and remember, the reality is this: democracy is fragile. It's fragile. That's why we depend on decent individuals who may disagree with you politically, not to rip up democracy in the process. Trump is not a decent individual, and so you see the fragility of democracy right in front of you. We got more on the other side. It's indisputable. Stick and stay. Listen, I just got to say this, I'm always excited when Anna's on the show. So let's go to Anna, all right? You know, I've watched you for years and I've told you this before. Mm -hmm. And a lot of my education on progressive policies, values, the agenda came from you. And I just wanted to pause and give you flowers because this is once again, a surreal moment for me and just say thank you for always doing the advocacy thing in the way that made a difference. Thank you, sister. Thank you so much, Dr. Ritchie. And let me just say thank you for being part of our team. I mean, it just makes TYT so much better. You're a fighter. And the thing that really stands out to me about you, and I noticed this during your de- debate with uh, Charlie Kirk. You're able to debunk facts or dismantle misinformation in like literally the most pleasant and kind way <laughs> in my life. It's amazing, and I'm learning from you. So this is a great, you know, partnership that we're seeing here. Iron sharp as iron. I appreciate you saying that. Okay, let me read some of these amazing comments before I do that. I got to remind everybody, the big homie. All right, J.R. Jackson, watch list. Let's get that graphic up. Beautiful. Look at those colors. Weekdays, 12 p.m. Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time. I gotta tell you, all right, I'm addicted to the show. And let me tell you why. 
It covers news, politics, culture, current events, sports, and more. All right, it's a dope ass show. So here's how you can support. Make sure you go to facebook.com forward slash watchlist TYT or watch live at youtube.com forward slash watchlist TYT. Subscribe there, okay? Also, petition. TYT investigates recently published an exclusive story about the families, that's the organization, the family secret role in Guatemala politics and how the organization's intervention has massively eroded human rights and the LGBTQIA rights in the country. We're calling on Democrats to do something very specific, to boycott the National Prayer Breakfast, which is run by the organization. Sign the petition right now at tyt.com forward slash petitions for Democrats to join people like Senator Tim Kaine and others in refusing to attend the National Prayer Breakfast. Now, here's what some Democrats are doing, all right? They're doing this cowardly thing where they don't want to say it publicly, but they're not going to show up. We need people on record, okay? I don't give a damn that it's called a prayer breakfast, I don't care. What they're doing is antithetical to growth and progress and values and it's quite evil, all right? Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're going to feel great. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. I'm on the windshield. Don't park in. Go ahead, tell them to stop parking in front of my property. And my goddamn shit, too. Park right in front of my driveway. Go out. Nobody parked in front of your driveway. This is the same thing you're doing. You're on my property. I don't want you on my property. You big lip. Leave me the alone. I'm gonna call the police now, okay? Well, good. Get the off my property. Get the off my property. Goddamn. My phone is not recording. Hey, excuse me. Excuse me. You just assaulted me. You pushed me. You broke my ankle. You broke my ankle. What the? You broke my ankle. Are you on drugs or something? Are you on drugs? Who are you servicing right now? Who are you? Stop it. Why? They're parked in front of my property. Close the door. He broke my ankle. He twisted my ankle. I'm calling the police on you. Madison Avenue in East Brunswick. She said, and I quote, you just assaulted me. You broke my ankle. Karenicity, ladies and gentlemen, the Karenicity in this one runs deep. She is not OG status Karen, but she's definitely on her way. This particular Karen was obviously trained by a well, well experienced Karen. As soon as someone decided to stand up for themselves, she yells that she is being criminally violated. Classic Karen move. Anna, what are your thoughts about this Karen? Well, I'm not sure if people realize this, but the street in front of your property is not <laughs> right. your property. It's, it's actually public property that's paid for and maintained 
through public tax dollars, meaning that it belongs to all of us. And this is, a, this is an issue that I think a lot of people have actually experienced. I know I've experienced it personally, uh, parking in front of my parents' home or parking in front of my parents' neighbors' home when I go visit them every Sunday. And uh, you know, the neighbors were not pleased about it, they were upset, but that street doesn't belong to the neighbors. It belongs to everyone who pays taxes on that street. It's just, it's it's an incredibly weird thing for people to get up in arms about. Yeah. I don't really understand it, especially since it doesn't appear that that woman lives in like a densely populated area. Like come to West Hollywood, California or something. And then you'll see why people get so up in arms about parking spots on public streets. But just calm down, you don't own the street. People can park as they please as long as they're not blocking a driveway or as long as they're not parked in front of a hydrant or something. It's just insane, like that sense of entitlement is really the pattern that you see with these Karen stories. Very well said, all right, shifting gears, very sad story. Once again, a 15 year old, a teenager has been shot in the back of the neck paralyzed, is in the hospital, and the Miami-Dade Police Department, they are refusing to release the name of the officer, citing Marcy's Law, which was created for people like the 15-year-old, who was likely a victim of a crime. So instead of using the law appropriately, they have now added another charge to the paralyzed 15-year-old in order to justify hiding the police officer's name by claiming the police officer is a victim of a crime, even though the initial charges did not say so. They did it to cover their ass. I'm gonna give you the background. Let's put up a picture of this teenager. I'm withholding his last name, his name is Vito, okay? Vito has a beautiful smile, all right? He's a teenager, he's a kid. Trouble kid perhaps, but a child, I was a trouble kid myself. Another criminal charge has been given to a 15 year old who was shot and paralyzed by a Miami Dade police sergeant. Vito, last name withheld, was charged with aggravated assault Friday night. He was previously charged with possession of a firearm by a minor and resisting an officer without violence without violence, okay? The attorney for the 15 year old who was left paralyzed after he was shot by police while fleeing a traffic stop in Northwest Miami-Dade said the teen was shot in the back of his neck while running from officers. 15 year old Vito remains at Jackson Memorial Hospital paralyzed from the neck down. Now this story gets quite interesting and this is why people don't like the police. Because of stories like this, literally he gets shot in the back of the neck, paralyzed, he's in the hospital. The police agency, they come out with, hey, we're not going to release the name of the police officer involved. Even though the cop is paid by taxpayer dollars, there's a transparency element, he works for the government. This cop is a public servant. They said, no, 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 no. We're gonna use Marcy's law, a law that was created for victims. And in order to justify them using Marcy's law, which would protect the identity of a victim, they decided to charge him, the 15 year old, with another charge. 
it gets deeper. Speaking with the Seven News on Friday, his attorney, Jarlins Princillis, pointed to the location where he said a Miami-Dade cop, his bullet pierced his client, the 15-year-old, early Sunday morning. He was running from the police, trying to get away, and he was shot in the back of his neck, said the attorney. Miami-Dade police invoked Marcy's law to withhold the name of the officer who shot Vito, claiming the cop was a victim of a crime. The controversial state statute was originally said to be a measure intended to shield the identity of crime victims. Several law enforcement sources have confirmed to the Herald the name of the officer, okay? We have not been able to independently confirm that. I will likely give an update on my social media later. Let me give you what Marcy's law is. Marcy's law allows for somebody who has been victimized, beginning at the time of his or her victimization, to prevent the disclosure of information that could lead to their identity being revealed or their being subject to other forms of harassment. Now, how in the hell did this start applying to cops? Cops weren't in mind when they wrote the bill. Cops weren't behind the promotion of the bill. This bill was literally a movement of victims and the family of victims, and it was signed into law. Controversial, but signed into law. Then law enforcement agencies decided to start using it to protect cops. Even the union leader said, you know what, it is an expansion of the law. It's not the law, it's an expansion of the law. This year, the Florida Supreme Court is going to rule on this law. What's the ruling about? Well, it's about if police officers can legitimately use this rule or this law in order to protect cops who are public servants, right? But look at what they're doing. They don't give a damn about the law. Literally, they changed the law. And now a Supreme Court has to rule if them changing the law is appropriate. Anna, what are your thoughts on this? So many thoughts. Uh, Let me start off with the point regarding civil servants and how they are paid with taxpayer money to protect and serve the very community that has completely lost trust in them. And that's a that's a huge problem, especially as we're experiencing a violent crime spike throughout the country. That's very real. And people's trust in these institutions, including local police departments, is incredibly important. And I would argue that these Police departments need to focus on building back that trust. I know that you know for the African American community, for black and brown people in this country, that trust has been long gone. But it's important for people to feel comfortable and safe calling on the police department to help them in their time of need if they're experiencing emergencies. And how are people going to do that when you see case after case of them using deadly force against citizens who are not posing an imminent threat? I think that really needs to be clarified. This is not to say that you know people who are breaking the law or anyone who's running from the cops is a good guy and we're defending them wholeheartedly. It's not about that. It's about making a distinction between when it is and is not okay 
to use lethal force. Lethal force should only be used if someone, if a cop is facing an imminent threat. And that is clearly not the case here, as everyone agrees that the teen was running away from the cop. So number one, they are not doing anything in, in terms of attempting to build trust among the community by refusing to name the cop, by reinterpreting a law that was meant to protect victims of crime. And at the same time, I mean, we just keep going on and on with using lethal force toward individuals who are not an imminent threat. And the question is, do we value lives or not? And it doesn't seem like in this particular case, a life was really valued. Yeah, well said, we got more on the other side, it's indisputable, stick and stay. Let me highlight a very disturbing story. You know, the killers of Ahmaud Arbery, remember them? Well, they were convicted in a court of law, state court. But there's also a federal hate crimes investigation indictment. And we were hoping an actual full prosecution. The family was hoping for the same thing. But according to the family, of Ahmaud Arbery, the murdered young black male who was jogging. The federal government decided to go behind their backs and strike a plea deal with these murderers rather than fully prosecuting them for their hate crime. The McMichaels were due to stand trial on federal hate crimes. Next month, prosecutors announced the plea deal late Sunday without revealing what the terms of the plea deal were. Ahmaud Arbery's family attorney, S. Lee Merritt, took to Instagram and made it very clear that the family does not support what the federal government has done. Here's a video. This is an example of the Department of Justice literally snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Wanda Cooper Jones is vacillating between upset um, betrayed uh, from feelings of deep grieving to feelings of vehement anger. Um, she is anxiously hoping to get before the court, which is her legal right to express her dissent. Uh, to the Department of Justice, Ahmaud Arbery's family has communicated their extreme disappointment and sense of betrayal. To the judge, the, the family is throwing themselves at the mercy of the court, asking that they do what the DOJ has refused to do, which is listen to the family and respect their wishes. This is a damn shame. When this first happened, <clears throat> I reported on my radio show when it was still a very local story. We went down to Brunswick, Georgia. We took a caravan. I have interviewed Ahmad Aubrey's mother, his father. I've interviewed the multiple attorneys involved in the case, including Benjamin Crump, okay? They wanted full justice from day one. They vowed to go to every proceeding. They vowed to speak to anyone who was willing to listen, and they have kept their word. The government was supposed to keep theirs. Let me give you some background. Gregory and Travis McMichael, the father and son convicted of murder in the Ahmad Aubrey killing, are entering a plea on federal hate crime charges in order to serve their time in a safer, less crowded prison. Well, isn't that nice of the federal government? Merritt called federal prison a country club compared to state prison, saying the facilities are less populated, have better funding, and are generally more accommodating than state holding facilities, according to tweets 
from his account. Merritt, the attorney, spoke out after documents were filed Sunday in federal court ahead of the man's scheduled February 7th trial, showing the defendants had reached the deal with prosecutors. Details of the agreement have not been specified. In a statement, Wanda, Wanda Cooper Jones, that's Ahmaud Arbery's mother, said, and I quote, the US Department of Justice has gone behind my back to offer the men who murdered my son a deal to make their time in prison easier for them to serve. I have made it clear at every possible moment that I do not agree to offer these men a plea deal of any kind. I have been completely betrayed by the DOJ lawyers. Now I want to contrast something here because it didn't make the news it should have made. The attorneys for the McMichaels, they tried to strike a plea deal with the state prosecution. And that DA said, hell to the null. We're prosecuting their ass 100%, no deal, I don't care what you agree to. They did what the family wanted. Now what happened to, let's make an example out of these criminals. What happened to that spirit, right? What happened to, we need to show the integrity of the justice system as it relates to hate crimes. What happened to that? They said all these things on the record. Now they go behind the backs of the family in order to strike a plea deal and do not release the details. Cooper Jones intends to oppose the plea deal during a hearing today. The Federal Crime Victims Act guarantees the mother the right to be reasonably heard at any public proceeding involving the plea offer. Merritt said and she intends to exercise that right in that proceeding today. The plea agreement has been sent to the US District for the Southern District of Georgia for consideration, the court filing said. An attorney for Gregory McMichael declined to comment on the agreement Monday. Remember the other guy, the guy that was recording it, William Roddy Bryan. And remember, he's recording because they were going to look at it for kicks. That's why he's recording, okay? William Roddy Bryan was not mentioned in Sunday's court filings. Bryan, who shot the video of Aubrey's killing, was sentenced to life with the possibility of parole. Anna, once again, once again, this was clear. This was literally a slam dunk for the federal government. And they go behind the back of the mother to strike a deal with killers of her son. You know, oftentimes plea deals are offered when the prosecutor is going to have a difficult time proving the charges brought forth. And that clearly is not the case here. And what I find fascinating about all of this is just the secretive nature under which this plea deal was made. And more importantly, how this was done under Biden's Justice Department. This isn't Trump's Justice Department. Now, some might argue, hey, you can't lay the blame on Biden, but I firmly believe that especially in our hierarchical system, the fish rots from the head down. Yeah. And this is something that Biden should have in the very least you know, had some conversations about, especially considering how he's currently doing in regard to the African American vote in this country. Many activists and organizers are incredibly frustrated with him and how he seems to have abandoned the efforts to pass a voting rights bill. And so when you put it in context, it really gives you a sense of how feckless and embarrassing the Biden administration has been in response to these crises that he 
during a, you know his campaign claimed to care so much about. This is awful. I mean, there's really no other way of putting yeah. it. And the intentions to essentially put these murderers in a more comfortable position as they're imprisoned, it just tells you everything you need to know about our two tier justice system and the double standards that persist. Absolutely, and before people start saying, well, Dr. You know, Biden can't get involved directly in investigations, um, kind of untrue. The President of the United States has the ability to provide general guidance to the DOJ director. If the President wanted to say something like, I don't know, prosecute hate crimes to the fullest extent of the law. Boom, put it in a memo and that's what the DOJ director has to do. That's called general guidance, all right? The President has the ability, the right and authority to do so. People who are seeking elected office are willing to literally bring guns to the voting precinct and to unplug voting machines if they don't like what's happening. Well, you named it, Republicans are doing this, it's in Michigan. Let me take you to the first video. We're gonna make sure like at the TCF Center, there was 4,800 people that were working the election and like 160 of them that were Republicans, right? We want 50-50. If you see something you don't like happening with the machines, if you see something going on, unplug it from the wall. The Second Amendment isn't there for hunting rights. It's not there for self-defense. The Second Amendment is there, the founders put it there, to protect all the others. And it says to the government, the people have the right to stop what's going on. The ideal thing is to do this peacefully, that's ideal. But the American people, at some point in time, if we can't change the time, or if we can, we need to be prepared a lot more. So if you ask, what can we do? Show up on if not, the poll workers stand out to block. Make sure that justice prevails. If we're going to be facing injustice, it is our responsibility as the American people to make sure that justice is brought. You see, those gentlemen won't bust the soft side of a grape, but they want somebody else to do it for them. Okay, this is what it's all about. Uh, uh, Kelly and Detmer, Twitter D and Twitter Dom. Uh, one is a cam candidate for Michigan governor, the other one is a candidate uh, for state senate. Let's put up the pictures. Uh, this is Kelly, Ryan D. Kelly. Let's put up a picture of the Senate candidate, Mike Detmer. Okay, remember the quotes. We need to be prepared to lock and load, show up armed. The Michigan Attorney General got involved in this. All right, and the Michigan Attorney General had to provide a response to this. Obviously, this is massively illegal. All right, here's what the response was from the state Senate candidate when the Attorney General said, you know what, what you're saying is illegal. Let's put it up. All right. So the Attorney General says unauthorized personnel tampering with election devices and the use of firearms to intimidate voters is illegal. Engaging in such conduct will result in arrest and prosecution. And then Mike Detmer responded, he's running for state senate. Thomas Jefferson said, 
What country can preserve its liberties if their rules are not warned from time to time that their people preserve the spirit of the resistance? Let them take arms. Okay, hop your happy ass out there with a gun. If you believe in this so much, Senator, Senator wannabe, do it. Get a gun and walk up somewhere if you're that big and bad. But here's the thing, they'll never do anything like this. And this is what makes me upset more than just the regular stuff. They want everybody else to do their dirty work. These are cowards, they're not for you. They want you to do this and then as soon as it goes down, they're not going to protect you. And then they're gonna say things like, that's not what I meant. I didn't want them to do that. No, my words were misinterpreted, all right? Um, Anna, thoughts? I mean, you're absolutely right about that. The prime example is what happened on January 6th, That's where right. Trump said that he was gonna march with the rally goers to the Capitol, that he was gonna fight like hell with them. And as soon as they started marching over to the Capitol, he turned around, went to the White House, sat his ass on the you know the couch mm-hmm. and watched everything transpire and refused to say a damn thing for a hundred, you know, over 180 minutes. And so they love to stoke this type of um, tension in the country, this type of violence in the country. It's what they campaign on. It's more of this GOP posturing to make themselves out to be these big tough guys. But at the end of the day, it's nothing more than posturing for them to you know, rely on during their campaigning. Whereas the people who do end up falling for this inflammatory language do end up facing legal consequences for it. Much like the Capitol rioters who now the right wing pretends are these you know, poor victims. No, if you encourage the crime, by the way, you should also face criminal charges for that. It shouldn't just be the people who are impressionable and honestly dumb enough to, to fall for it. It should be the people inciting the violence as well. Thank you, Anna, always a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you, I had a great time, thank you for having me. Take care of yourself, take care of each other, take care of the planet. Remember the truth is always indisputable.